Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. everybody welcome to another episode of that early childhood nerd um buckle up because this is gonna be something i anticipate at least on my part lots of swearing today um in this recording and lots of good good passionate conversation so anyway um carol uh, garboden murray is here today hi everyone (laughs) mike huber Hello. Hi, Mike. There we go. Um, okay, so let's just jump right in. Here's here's the quote we want to start with. Um, and this is from Joy in Early Childhood Programs by Bev Boss, which was published in 1995, but I still use it constantly. Um, and she says, uh, we must protect the right of all children to have a hallelujah kind of childhood. And now we're going to talk about an article that does not describe a hallelujah kind of childhood. Ugh. So um, we're going to talk about uh, an article in the latest issue of Young Children. So it's the summer 2022 issue. The article is called Outdoor Resource Matters, Recess Matters, Preventing and Reducing Children's Challenging Behavior on the pl- Playground. Um, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six authors um, that you're welcome to look up. <laughs> If you need to know more. So, so Carol, this all kind of started with you um, posting on your illuminating care page, if I'm remembering right, um, about using the language of recess in an early childhood uh, program. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to sort of get us started. And I know we're going to go in all different directions, but we're going to start with this recess piece. Yeah, thank you, Heather. Yes, I when I opened up Young Children this summer, and saw recess matters, it caught me off guard. And I thought, well, this must be one of those articles for first and second grade, because I know young children and early childhood does include um, going all up to all the way up to grade three, right? And then I thought, who's using the word recess in early childhood? Because in my career, we've never referred to outdoor playtime as recess. Mm -hmm. And And especially recently in the last four or five years, what great resources we've had to create outdoor classrooms and to be outside with kids and not to have that separation between Mm -hmm. indoor learning, classroom time and outdoor time. It's all learning. So my first impulse was, uh, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Again, is this one of those examples of how we're borrowing language from the public school or from educational models for older children to talk about what's happening in our sort of special, unique 
period of life, this, this time of early childhood where we don't want to separate play from care, play from learning, where the child is whole. And I just, I had a, I had a strong reaction to using the word recess mm -hmm. throughout this article. Even in the beginning of the article is, is kind of making a rationale. We better be outside. We better be having recess. And, and I thought, well, that's a little patronizing. Of course, we know kids need to play yeah. the outside. And then I thought, wow, this, I just couldn't recognize myself or my children or my profession in this mm -hmm. article. And I posted it on Facebook because there is this really important conversation we're having right now about play and the definition of play, the continuum of play, the spectrum of play, <laughs> guided play. I mean, where are we going with this? Mm -hmm. um, how are we defining play? Um, this article seemed to me to be an example of co-opting play yeah. and actually taking play away from children, which is quite ironic since it's about recess, mm -hmm. when it's about playtime. It seemed like it was um, hunkering down on structure and rules. Yeah. Absolutely. It was. Okay. Yeah. And it very early they cite, well, you know, the, it, the language using preset recess will really before I even read the article bothered me because of what you've already talked about, Carol, how um, it's using school language. And I just, I, I know that that happens because we want to be respected. We want to have the same kinds of professional respect as a field. That's the reason that's often given, but I'm, I'm confident in enough, enough in my understanding of what quote unquote learning looks like in early childhood and how development is different in birth to five than older, you know, elementary school. So, so that I, <clears throat> I'm confident that I can articulate that. <clears throat> so it worries me that other folks don't like th that there aren't more voices saying that we're not school. <laughs> I think there's something else going on though. <clears throat> right. And I think it comes in, they talk about, they're talking about an inclusive childcare. Yeah. And I think when it comes to children with um, different needs, you know, that aren't as typical, that people go into immediately this therapy mindset. And, mm -hmm. and I, I first wanna say that therapy or therapeutic uh, work with children has two basic directions, very similar to early childhood education, mm -hmm. that one is compliance focused and one is regulation focused, right? We, how do we help the child regulate when they aren't regulated? How do we help them engage in something that they want to, but aren't physically able to, or mm -hmm. aren't um, uh, mentally able to without some assistance, without some support? And so that's, I think what's happening here. It's the same, it's a parallel to our like play-based learning mm -hmm. versus teacher-based learning, but it's this idea of like, well, that's all fine and good. Let the typical kids play. But these atypical kids, they're not going to know how to share a bike right. because they can't, um, you know, solve a problem. They can't solve a conflict. If there's mm -hmm. a social conflict, they aren't able to. And or they don't um, know how to play like just or that they don't know statement. how to play. And yeah. therefore, what we do is we teach them to play. So we read books about <laughs> what they should do. Uh -huh. And and um, it's like this total backwards idea that no, no, all children are children and all children deserve um, what was Bev's 
quote, a hallelujah kind of a childhood. A hallelujah kind of childhood. And unfortunately, disabled children often get sort of put into this, oh, let's just have them learn the episode we did with uh, Emmy and Amanda mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, on yes. autistic children. I think was that perfect example, having the child sit at snack until they ask cor correctly yeah. for their cracker. Well, all the other children, it's like, well, this is what we do. Kids, you know, they're still learning to, mm -hmm. you know, you ask with words, you know, in this more polite form. So we just, you know, we feed them, mm -hmm. feed children, mm -hmm. <laughs> hungry wow. child, feed them. Revolutionary. Uh, but, <laughs> but with the autistic child with a therapist in the room, suddenly you couldn't because their IEP or their learning goal was this real compliance-based thing. It wasn't a goal of helping the child learn. Sorry, I'm rambling. I know. No, that's okay. It won't I happen just, again, I swear. No, yeah. I just noticed that you changed your name to my Cuber oh, yeah. instead of my Cuber. And so I started laughing. That's what, that's, that's what shows up when I do a transcript of the podcast. So yeah, I, figured I told him I was going to start calling him that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, uh, now, oh, oh, but just that idea that the goal could have been helping a child state their needs. Right. Verbally or non-verbally. And starting with the child, right? Starting with, start with the, child, yeah. the child and this idea that the child has a direction, the child has uh, a need to develop autonomy to make a choice. Mm -hmm. So yeah. once you take choice out of the equation, once you take that personal freedom mm -hmm. away, then we're really talking about a very different framework. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like it's grounded in child development to me. It feels yeah. again, like you said, Mike, it's grounded in schoolification, training, compliance. Right. And so our, our shift becomes so, so different. Our, our focus becomes so different. And I just, I think for me, I'm so, I also was a special ed teacher and I'm so comfortable finding my role, right? Like sometimes I need to move closer. Sometimes I need to move away. Sometimes I need yep. presence. My presence is powerful when children are trying to negotiate a conflict. Sometimes I need to put my hand on another child's hand, you know, and sometimes so that I have a role of fading in and out and being attuned to what the children need from me instead of removing them from what they're doing and saying, okay, let's go in the classroom and have a lesson on how to play. <laughs> and it's going to start by me demonstrating how to stand on a swing and how to sit on a swing. And then we'll give examples of what's safe behavior and not safe behavior. Yeah. I just was reading that lesson plan in this article thinking, where did this come right. from? <laughs> and with, with preschool children, we're going to role play safe and unsafe or we're yeah. going to quiz like, like the, the, it, the whole thing was, it just felt really, really anti-child to me. Yes. Um, and you know, a lot of the IP IEPs while we're talking about that element of the article, a lot of the IEPs I've seen include some sort of advocacy, self-advocacy goal, but this whole article is how do we take away yeah. their self-advocacy and, and, and replace it with compliance under yeah. the guise of self self-regulation right. or whatever. And that I think is dangerous when we, you know, they said build a relationship because then um, children are more likely to cooperate. I mean, I, I get that you can influence a child that you have a good relationship with, but that's different than this sort of manipulator relationship. Yeah. So that cooperation is different than making a child um, afraid to be themselves. Right. 
which right. is, you know, and I do want to make sure that we're, we are talking about compliance-based therapies, not which this article is about, Yeah, but there's plenty of, you know, Greenspan's floor time and other um, therapies that are play-based and are sure. child-centered. Right. But Carol, you used the word attunement and I, I was just thinking of the way they talk about doing a survey, a play survey, mm. and kids are going to check off these pictures of which things they like. And it's like, does that mean you can't watch children? I mean, to me, it was like the weather chart of um, <laughs> a, a preschool of curriculum. playgrounds, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you could watch the kids yeah. it rather says, than having them fill out this chart, just like you could have the kids go outside rather than decide what the like, weather's it's like. It's almost like they said, oh, we have to involve parents and families in all of our interventions. So we're going to ask parents to help ch children do this survey. Yeah. And I just imagined all these ways that that survey was going wrong. And exactly. It was like, yeah. this is not the conversation I would have with a family and yeah. uh, nor the conversation I would have with a child. And, and like you said, Mike, I would be, I would be sitting in the sandbox watching children play. Right. And, and I don't, and I couldn't assume that a child would have a favorite play activity. The child has just begun learning how to play. The child has just begun uh, understanding how to pedal a bike or how to sit on a swing or how to dig a hole the child is not going to have that not that the child doesn't know themselves and have a direction but to be able to put language to a favorite to mm -hmm. rank play right. yeah to rank and things they and it's like yeah. and we know that kids change every like two minutes of what <laughs> like whatever they're doing right now is their favorite thing exactly, exactly. that's yeah. the point that's yeah so, so for the folks who haven't seen it yet, the, the interest survey has, um, it says, I like to play. And then there's pictures of a sandbox, two kids playing catch, a swing set, a trike, uh, a seesaw, teeter-totter, and a climber slide thing, and a sad face and happy face uh, under each for the child to choose which, is they, which they like to play. And then the questions are, tell me what might frustrate your child when playing on the playground. Hmm. fuck how <laughs> doing surveys like this oh my god and what strategies or materials might help your child calm down if they become upset on the playground parents with the best of intentions and the best knowledge of their child don't know that no. and, i mean that's minute by minute with children in real life deciding what's frustrating or experiencing that and this is absolutely just trying to play a game and Getting, giving of out being a being to the a teacher. parent doesn't yeah. build the trust to actually get an honest conversation. Absolutely. Having an honest conversation would build the trust and it would just come out of like, oh yeah, whenever we go to the playground on the weekend, they get frustrated when someone knocks over their, the, the sand mound they're yes. making yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's, it said right in the article, this survey is designed to garner children's input Teachers can use it to learn about children's interests and to plan highly engaging recess activities. <laughs> no, watch the children, see where they play. I, yeah, I think as a as a mentor and a and an instructor in a college, if if a, one of my students brought me that survey, I would say, no, 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 we got to do this over. This is not what we're talking about when we talk yeah. about engagement <laughs> with parents. And I think also, like Mike said, as a special ed teacher, I've been in those play groups, you know, with toddlers and three year olds. And I was facilitating the playroom with an occupational therapist and we would have great conversations with families and it would be like, you need to share the parent, the mom or yeah. dad would say, you need to share, yeah. give that to him, stop that. And then we would be able to say to the family, oh, actually, you know, 
learning to say, that's mine. I'm not done with it. Give it back to me. Grabbing the toy is actually okay Mm -hmm. because the child needs to experience his autonomy before he learns to share. Mm -hmm. And that child, um, we can support, you know, ways of playing together. And then we talk about parallel play. And then we talk about, you know, all the wonderful, rich ways we have to look at play and, and the development of, of, of cooperation, you know, that so many kids, I mean, cooperative, sophisticated, cooperative uh, turn-taking and, and, and this, this masterful kind of play doesn't really happen until kids are five or six. I right. mean, they start to do it at three, four, and five, but this is a long, a long journey, right? Mm-hmm. With cooperation. Yeah. That- Sharing should never be an IEP goal. No. For- yeah. Sharing shouldn't be no. a, a goal of no. anything under the age of eight. Like, yeah. I mean, we don't expect it of adults, you know, so why would we expect it of kids? <laughs> Yeah. right it's just well like and- that's a nice car you just bought um i, I want it that, yeah can i just I'm, I'm gonna give it back i just want to drive you know to uh whatever just to the grocery share store your back. car mike come on <laughs> share your car mike you're making me very sad when you don't share your car <laughs> that's true so, so part I of the do- oh go ahead. go ahead well i was just gonna say part of the the focus, you know, it's, it's recess and the language has already got us all fired up, but then the, the focus is how do we get them? How do we stop misbehavior so that children will be engaged in learning? And the, the approach is very behaviorist and it, and, and the behaviors they describe are like getting in conflicts with others um, mm-hmm. and things like it. that's engagement that's engagement. It's just was, uncomfortable for the adult to see that engagement. So this week's episode of uh, <laughs> Teaching with the Body and Mind, why conflict is a good thing in the classroom. Awesome. Or whatever word you want to use, but I think yeah. uh, Tom used classroom in, in the episode, but it was like, yeah. because that's how they learn to um, engage with each other. Yeah. You know, it's like building a block building and never letting the kid make a wrong move so that it falls down uh-huh. like nope we can't let you build these blocks until we teach you we need a wide base make sure everything is put on you know square and uh-huh. whatever rack and plumb and we'll go to the next block and uh-huh. don't touch those blocks yet because you haven't learned it yet we're going to yep. do this now let's read a book about it you see how they're <laughs> building the building they aren't just haphazardly putting these steel girders on okay so before you know yeah. it's like no we let them build well actually yeah we could get a schema episode if we're not careful (laughs) first they like knock them down and knock them down and knock them down and then they worry about building and the same thing is true socially Mm -hmm. and this is just uh it gives me the you know yeah i think i think you mentioned mike you mentioned betsy evans and i love her too like i love her work it's just what what did you say about betsy mike Oh, I, I pictured her reading this article and either banging her head against a tree or just crying in a pillow and muttering, my life's work, my life's work. <laughs> Sorry, Carol, go ahead. Yes, no, I just say Betsy Evans, I, we are here, we are doing the work, you know, we, we you know, it, she, she, her work is founded on like, you know, the Dan Gartrell and, the, and, the, and, and just, and Lillian Katz and all our giants that say, you know, that, that children 
are humans Mm -hmm. (laughs) with full emotions and we are expecting a lot of them at a really young age. I mean, to think about the complicated dynamic process of developing your language, developing your motor skills, developing your, your, your social understanding, and then being put in a room or a playground with 16 other children, the same that are working on all this stuff at the same time, just like Mike said, the conflict is the point of education. That's, that's great. Oh, you both want the shovel at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the point where we teach social skills, not going back Mm -hmm. to the classroom and reading a book about how to share. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe I'll bring up stories from my center or a story. Sorry. This isn't the mic show, I suppose. But um, so (laughs) my, the childcare center I work for is an inclusive childcare. So 30% of children have identified needs. We assume another 10% will get diagnosed within each year because we're the preschool everyone goes to, or the childcare center everyone goes to after they get kicked out of other places. Mm -hmm. And our agency also has, so just down the hall is autism day treatment. So these are children with autism that need more supports. So it's generally, you know, one to one ratio, maybe a one to two ratio Mm -hmm. or two to one ratio. I always forget which way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's um, children's mental health day treatment down the other hall. And so we share the hallways. And then on the playground, we just go out. There's no scheduled times. People are allowed to go out their mm-hmm. classrooms or whatever, uh, you know, are allowed to go out at any time. So there's lots of interaction between children who um, the way we usually phrase it, oh, they're still learning to um, ask before they grab mm-hmm. it out of your hands mm-hmm. or they use their um, body to tell you what they want or, you know, things like that. And the kids just learn that there's these different ways of doing it. And then teacher, I do think it's important for adults to, to um, I, I talk about as building bridges. If one child's thinking this, one child's thinking this, the adults idea. So my idea of scaffolding isn't bringing one kid up, it's bringing both kids to the same level, mm-hmm. right? So if this child isn't understanding what this nonverbal child is telling them with, with nonverbal cues, I can help them understand. I'm not getting the verbal child. Okay, let's pull out your visuals and point to the picture that you want the toy. You know, sometimes that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And other times it's helping the other child understand how to listen with yeah. their eyes, right? <clears throat> what is this child telling you right now? And so the one story, I already told the story, I guess, but one of the ways that I've seen this happening because we kind of went through a pandemic, maybe you've did too, where you are. Um, <laughs> so we weren't on the playground together for two years. Uh. And a bunch of our staff were new, had never done this before. And it is not something you would do anywhere else. So suddenly all the kids are sharing the playground again and the adults were like, what? <laughs> um, but now just a few months in, you see these stories where one um, typically developing child is watching another kid sort of sort of trying to ride a bike. And first question he asks is, so does he still wear a diaper? And the adult was like, yes. Like, oh, so he's still learning to go potty. Oh, good. Uh, is he learning to ride a bike? Yeah, yeah. This is um, one of the first times he's been out. Oh, he's doing really good, <laughs> right? And it that didn't come. It did come from reading our social story. So that is a book. But the social story 
was just giving children that language. Mm-hmm. Oh, this person's still learning something that I already do. Right. Yeah. Just be it. And it's not the five-year-old who uses a diaper is not a baby. That five-year-old is still learning to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and then there can be language around, they may never learn to do it or whatever, but we usually don't worry about that because the other child doesn't need to know if this is like something. And we often don't know, right. right. You know, there's best guesses, but <laughs> children always surprise you. So that's what the book teaches is it helps give language. And part of it is then when you're in the real life situation, the adult uses that, that language. So all three programs read these books mm-hmm. and for the nonverbal kids, it's mostly for the adults to know, oh, that's the language I'll use when I'm out yeah. there. And then we, you know, very Dan Gartrell influenced as well. The two rules in our classrooms are um, we take care of each other and we solve problems together. Mm-hmm. And that. then that's the language we use when something happens. Yep. Yeah. That's so great. And I, I think you just gave such great demonstrations of some really explicit learning, right? And explicit teaching. Like you're, we are not saying that we don't need to sometimes use visuals. We don't need to have scripts ready. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be really thinking intentionally how we are going to create inclusive environments. Um, it's, it's, it takes a lot of thought. It's not like, okay, everyone free play and everything right. will be fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. it does yeah. take a lot of thought and intention and teaching, but you're starting with respect for the child and respect right. for play and respect right. for childhood. You're starting with an understanding of human development. Yeah. And right. then you're saying, here's what we can do to create a place where everyone can have a successful experience. And it's, and it's not, starting by saying, don't do this, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love right. like your, your examples of social stories, I mean, and scripts, and especially like, how do we take care of each other? And how do we solve problems together? Like, it's not, it's not rules, don't stand on the swing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that might be that might become an agreement or a rule that children decide upon right. during the school year, but it might not be, it might mm-hmm. not be. <laughs> well, so, and- that brings the, you know, the other thing is that they want a, a big focus here is teaching them not to play in unsafe ways, I think is what they called it. But their examples are like going up the slide or um, uh, even, even like teaching, like, don't throw a ball a certain way. Like, yeah, you, yeah. You so throw a ball directly at the person who's trying to catch the ball. And I'm thinking, well, then again, there's an understanding of that's not really how three and four year olds play with balls. Oh, right. Yeah. What was and, it was like? no intentionally throwing it a different direction or something yeah. like that. I'm like, what? Yeah. And so, you know, they, they quoted at the very beginning, a report from um, the U S department of health and human services or a recommendation recommending that preschoolers engage in at least 60 minutes of structured and 60 minutes of unstructured physical activity each day, which already, I didn't go look at the report, but mm. I, I think I that quoted what, in my, last book as well Did um, I, so that is how it's worded yeah but um you know I talked about well structured simply means like oh this is a time we're outside on a playground right that's structured yeah for kids under the age of six or I would argue eight yeah that's the structure yeah well and it, um, it seems like so. everything that they talk about here then is what they think they think this is a un, or this is unstructured play, but ve- they're very much controlling every element of it, and um, you know, including which direction we go up the slide, and seeing that as misbehavior when there's so much 
there's so much positive and good that could come from a child going up a slide. Um, I remember the great social interaction when one child wants to go down and one child wants to go up that you're suddenly avoiding. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Jesus. Um, (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. And maybe you've heard this one before, but um, I remember very vividly one day, two children going in opposite directions and watching the social interaction and other, this was when I was at the, the Purdue grad or preschool clinic, other, the grad students were coming up concerned and I was kind of stopping them from interfering. And then later we, we talked about what did you see? And they talked about the negotiation and the language skills and the, the cooperation and the problem solving that those two did on their own without us stepping in. And I was like, which one of those things do you wish hadn't happened? Like, like which one of those would you like to keep them safe from? (laughs) That's why you get paid the big bucks. Those that question after it is yeah. great. The big bucks, yeah. yes. And yeah, I think, so, I think anyway. Mike, you talked about what is structure. So, like, how would you structure a playground to make sure everyone can have a su- successful experience for children aged three to five? And I think you had the same question I did. Do these children have a sandbox? Is there a water spigot? Are there? Is there chalk? There's there- six things apparently. Oh. <laughs> There's oh, yeah, a sandbox, the survey. a swing, yeah. a, yeah, that survey, I'm sorry. <laughs> so because no, I'm thinking like at our playground, the shade, how many kids are just in the shade looking at the wood chips, the, the cool mm-hmm. rock they found, the, yeah. you know, all these things. And I don't see it in the survey. And I'm like, that's what half the time is spent doing outside is yeah. like, look at, I found a little pebble. Walking mm-hmm. around with a bucket and picking up rocks and, and, and sticks and, and worms. <laughs> I mean, it, the play isn't just sports. It's not, it's not focused on games um, or using the equipment. Play Have you that. ever worked with a child that's focused on sports? I was so confused. That's no. where I was really like. And the question you might ask who is, your is who's your favorite ball, ball player? Because <laughs> I'm thinking like, yeah, which, what's your favorite Tour de France team? You know, like you're riding a bike. So like, what's your, you know, I'm just like, yeah. Um, you know, and is it, do you like the, like the, I don't even know what the terms are. The leader, the runner, whatever. (laughs) The leader runner? Whatever. I don't know. I don't know either. I did have one child that when I taught New York City who could name the entire infield of the uh, New York Yankees. Uh (laughs) Cool. Yeah. I think the other thing um, I recently had a conversation with Dale. Oh, I froze. Can you see me? Okay. One thing I was thinking a lot about is um, the recent study in Tennessee where um, the longitudinal, um, you know, growth for children who started a formal pre-K um, in ages, ages three and four, and then looking at them when they're in third grade and sixth grade did not show favorable outcomes. In fact, I spoke with Dale Farron, the, um, the, the, the person who really conducted those studies. And she said that those children were actually um, having increased behavioral problems and decreased uh, sort of educational outcomes later on. And she speculated that this whole thing about putting preschools in big schools where children are expected to stand in line, to not to talk during lunchtime, to line up to take their turn to get on the slide, these, this uh, culture of, you know, I, I call it schoolification or whatever, mm-hmm. that that ha- is not only 
proven to not help children in the long run, but it can be very damaging. And that's why I'm alarmed. And that's why I'm speaking out against recess mentality mm -hmm. for young children, because we have to do things differently for our youngest kids. I would argue maybe we need to do it differently for the whole <laughs> public yeah, school system. Right. But if we don't get it right at the start, if as we're getting more funding for UPK, we have to see our unique identity as early childhood educators mm -hmm. to do it differently. It can't be about standing in lines. It can't be about sitting in groups and, and holding bubbles in your mouth yeah. and, and compliance because it's damaging. It's hurting children. It's, it's, it's causing them to shut down. I mean, when you, when you read a lesson plan on safe and unsafe play behavior for a three and four or five-year-old. That's, that's set up to take 40 minutes. Oh, oh my the lesson God. plan, classroom, 20 minutes, playground, 20 minutes. And so you imagine those kids wiggling and poking and, and the teacher saying, Be quiet, to move. Quiet. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to get to this lesson on how to play, you know, and then right. maybe at the end of the lesson, I'll give you 10 minutes to practice playing. And while you're practicing playing, I'm going to keep checking for your knowledge and asking you, do you know how to play safely? Yeah, like, this is not early childhood, right? So I just ask young children, right. the, the magazine, young children, I ask our our researchers, our, I ask our leaders, what example are we giving? What are we holding up? And as we talk about guided play, as we mm -hmm. talk about adult roles, as we talk about learning through play and playful learning and all these terms that we're throwing around, what examples are we given that are back to your original your original quote, you know, the, mm -hmm, the hallelujah the kind of the hallelujah, the joy, the agency, yeah. the autonomy, the love. Where's that? Where's that? Yeah. Well, and I, I, I realize that this article is written by therapists and not early educators, but the people reading the magazine, the people reading this journal are early childhood educators and professors and, um, you know, involved in policy somehow. And, and the, I don't know if you haven't ever been presented another way of thinking about teaching young children, this all would really click and make sense. I was trying to imagine myself, you know, 25 years ago reading this and how I would have responded. And I think I would have been really behind it because at that point I was trying to be a teacher. I wasn't, um, you know, my identity was different uh, uh, back then and um, so that's that's another reason I feel like there's a big responsibility for the people you should make decisions book. about what to publish. Illuminating Care by Carol Garbodin-Murray. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you know it. I've heard of it. Heard of it. Yeah. I might have three copies on the shelf over here because I keep loaning it out and circling it back around. Um, and also, I'm pretty mad that your book's not immediately available to Mike, your new one. Um, because I want people to have that one too. Well, I will say that Carol actually, like I was just reading through it because I figured I should actually use my same terminology. Um, yeah. And Carol like hit the like three main points of chapter one, you know, oh. engagement, attunement, and, uh, and I forgot the other one. Oh, um, autonomy. You didn't oh, even write it. Good, good. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, even even as I um, as I look back on what I was writing, you know, my 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 evolution has changed. Like mm -hmm. even when I use the word independence and self help skills Absolutely. and all those things, there are early childhood words. But now my my ideas of those words are changing, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. because we we want like I, lo I love the word attunement. I think that's a great one, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I just we ha we have a responsibility, and and 
anyone who's publishing, <laughs> making publishing decisions has a responsibility to make sure that what's published is really in line with child development and brain development and um, what we know about children's real physical needs. Like it can't just have this lens of, of school. And, um, and I, it makes me, it, it really like, I, I'm, I'm swearing and I'm angry, but I cried a little bit when I read this, mm-hmm. um, the first time it just really hurt my heart to think of, um, you know, and I'm thinking of individual three to five-year-olds that I know and have worked with being in this, um, you know, having this expectation of, mm-hmm. um, compliance and, um, I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to tell it to you. And I'll maybe show you some pictures, but then I expect perfection once we get out there. And if right. you make that mistake, you know, I'm going to, well, I, we told you, we've talked about this. Right. And there's no respect for the body, right? Yes. Children's slide. bodies, the whole standing on yes. the swing, going up a slide. Standing like, on the swing. That's the one I couldn't remember. Yeah. It just like, w- yeah. Yeah. And I feel like our field attracts either the people who were the child who would just follow those rules and can't wait to make other people do it. <laughs> yeah. And there's um, those of, um, I'm assuming I'm looking at two right now, uh, those of us who like <laughs> couldn't follow the rules. Um, I remember I had an assessment in kindergarten. I don't know what, what they were trying to study, but my mom did show me uh, years later of like one of the things was um, jumps and they, they just wrote refuses to. Why was somebody having like you know some I'm picturing somebody like okay now jump okay yep yep you know jumped with one foot jumped with two feet it's like what the hell you know you know honestly I probably would have jumped but cried (laughs) if that was my assessment when I was yeah I would have cried too I would have why do you want me why Why I was jumping over there why do I have to jump for you here (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't speak at that point either. I was nonverbal, oh, so oh, I would have right. just scowled. Yeah. I think that also, like, what was I going to say? Like, this, we need to really think about, like, why we're pushing back. Because what happens is this, this there becomes this, this divide, this big gap between people who talk about free play and guided play. Yeah. And I I think that the terminology is important, but play is mysterious and elusive and and, 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 and play is not always measurable. Mm -hmm. So I think that we need to find a way to, um, we who are advocates of children and free play and joy and autonomy are not saying that there isn't an adult role and we're not saying that we don't sing songs and read stories to kids of course those are adult guided activities right that we have adult directed ways of entering into a collaboration with children but please understand that the reason we have such visceral reactions and push back about against this kind of compliance-based teaching is because it does not feel like it respects the yeah. profession, the children, the educator. Right. And so there, people will often yeah. say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, play is play, you know? Can, if you play sports, if you play a game, if you play free play, like why are you making such a big deal about this? Yeah. This is a playful learning article yeah but uh, we so, have to suss this out we really have yeah. to suss this out I a little bit so, this, 
so sports. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say that's you know Lisa Murphy has started to talk more about choice than play. Yeah, and yeah. really focus things on do the children have a choice? Right. Um, that's, because that's play is it. so easy to argue with and, right. and sort of. And it's so hard because we can't use the word guide, even though we're talking about an adult role. Because then people, are, you yeah. know, so yeah. But I was just thinking, even the sports thing, we physical education K through twelve spends so much time teaching kids sports. And the number of those kids who go on to play sports in adulthood mm-hmm. is really tiny. Yeah. And there is a separate movement. Again, like each field has these same splits. Yeah. There's a separate physical education movement that's based on healthy lifestyle. Yeah. What are things you like to do that get your body moving? And mm-hmm. let's do that and yeah. learn to do it and learn to know how that affects your heart rate, how that affects how you feel, how that affects you moving through the day, all of those things, those things carry through adulthood. Mm-hmm. So even when we get into this, like play, oh yeah, play. Cause later they'll play baseball <laughs> and children. There's plenty of children who are motivated to play. I was one of those kids who kind of played because my, my older siblings did. And, you know, but there's like not motivation for everyone to do it. And even if there is in, you know, younger ages, what's, even if you're talking about that, because adults play mm-hmm. and adults who don't play, one, shouldn't be working in these programs <laughs> and two, yes. should start playing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's another thing. Like even when you get into that argument, it falls flat. Like, no, our ultimate goal isn't to get kids to, to learn how to throw a ball to play catch or to wait their turn to play catch because only two people can do that. And now we have a ball. It just... Um, uh, yeah, just yeah. I started. I did start looking at some of the original research that talks about the play continuum or the play spectrum. I started looking at that, and it's a really there's some really broad conversation. It's talking about babies. It's talking about seven year olds, and it's talking about eleven year olds. It's talking about um, you know phonemic awareness. It's talking about outcomes in in understanding numeracy and mathematics. So I mean, it's a huge broad continuum, birth to age eleven. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't, don't take those outcomes that we need guided experiences and direct experiences to have better outcomes. Don't take that little chunk of information and apply it to children ages three, four, and five. Right. And yeah. one person I talked to who was kind of part of creating that idea of the continuum, it was more about observing what adults do with kids and like, yeah. oh yeah, sometimes there's these very, you know, peekaboo or whatever, yes. there's these games we play that are very adult, like the child isn't gonna to continue to do it if we don't. Mm-hmm. And so there are these behaviors adults do to continue engagement, to increase engagement. Mm-hmm. And if they're attuned, when the child's engaged and doesn't need the adult, you know, without the adult, then the adult leaves the child. But if the child needs help kind of re-engaging, um, and this might be happen more when you're like at the laundromat, you've got to be in this place for an hour <laughs> Yeah. versus, um, you know, if you're at home or whatever, because one of my favorite things is just at a laundromat a few months ago and just watching this mom expertly kind of back off and then kind of engage and back off and engage. Mm-hmm. And finally, the person who worked at the laundromat, like sat down with the kids, because there's one point when they did climb up. Oh. on the washing machines, like the <laughs> tall ones. And, you know, she told them to get down, but then she like asked the mom if she could like sit down with them and have a snack. 
because mm-hmm. um, that's probably that's what nice. they really need. And right. and I just heard her talk to them. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I you know, when, when I told you to get down, I was just worried about, you know, it being safe because, you know, there's not really anything soft down there. And um, but, you know, you actually remind me of my grandkids. <laughs> uh, my grandkids loved climbing. You know, what do you like to do? And, you know, if, if you didn't have to be in here, what would you be doing instead? Mm-hmm. And it's just this great conversation. But the way that the mom would like, oh, here, like play with this. And then they play with a little while and then they'd go off and do something on their own. And if they were engaged, she just left them. Yeah. When they started like, you know, kind of being loud next to some people who clearly did not want <laughs> the kids right in their space. So like, hey, you guys, why don't you bring that over here? You know, and it was just so cool. And that's what the play continuum should describe is how do adults engage with children by being attuned to them? Mm-hmm. I love that. Not let's yeah. choose a spot on the spectrum and just focus on that and do it. Right. I, love so I think if it starts with attunement, we'd be fine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that might be a good wind down spot. <laughs> if we start with attunement, we'd be fine. Like if the, if the, if at any point in this article, that kind of relationship building had been mentioned in any way other than, a means for compliance, then, then this could have been a very different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to think about attunement a lot. I, I think that's a great, a great place. Like we do have to include ourselves. What is our role? Right. Yeah. We have, yeah. We, have, we, we are important. We, we make decisions that affect so many vulnerable children who don't have control over their schedule. Yeah. Right. And um, that's, that's so yeah. critical that we're in tune. And in a group environment, if the child is seeming to want to play, but doesn't know how to join the others, that's a really good role for us to be a little more involved, but it's Mm -hmm. all attunement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of what they described in this as a misbehavior that we want to, we want, they probably said challenging behaviors that we want to, to, to stop or, or reduce or whatever, just moving closer is almost always the answer. (laughs) Like just, if you feel like they're playing in an unsafe way, or there's a conflict that you're concerned about moving closer and, and coaching and guiding, there's your role. You know, that's, that's when you can be the teacher that you clearly want to be. Um, So yeah, it's, I know we could probably keep on going and going and going, but I have an 11 o'clock. So <laughs> thank you. So, so we All have right. to wind this down. Thank you, Carol, for um, forcing me to read this article and yeah. have this conversation. And thanks, Mike, for joining in. Um, yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I knew it was going to be a great, fun conversation. And also, I'm out of episodes. So thank you for getting me back on track. I've gone two weeks without releasing anything. So, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you. And uh, come back for another episode next week, probably next week. <laughs> Bye, everyone. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.